morning, everybody. Hope you're well. Hope you had a good lie-in. Uh, I didn't, uh, because I put the clocks last night for a little Amelie forward instead of backwards. So she was up at 4am thinking it was the morning. I have a lot of making up to, to do to my wife. Uh, but there we go. We are coming to the end, nearly, of, of our so current sermon series called A New Season. And you'll know by now that the brief for this is for the sort of preachers to get a passage that has meant something for them uh, and has some, hopefully, resonance for us in this sort of new season. And, and there are so many deeply powerful passages of scripture that I could have chosen. In fact, I was going to speak on something else. And frankly, I wish I was speaking on that other thing. But, but, but as I was praying and seeking God, as, my heart, as our hearts are heavy with the events happening in Gaza and Israel and many other areas of our world and stuff happening in our lives, I felt God prompt me to speak on this passage that we have just heard and to speak on the theme of forgiveness. And I just want to say as, as we begin, I'm very aware that for some of us, this is going to be a tough listen. It's a tough topic, tough to hear, tough to respond. It's not a bright and breezy bit of teaching. That was what I was going to do before. So let's just pray as we start, just to ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us in the way that he would do. So Lord, we we have just been in your presence praying, uh, thank you that we don't leave it. Thank you that you are here. Lord, we just want to come to you as we begin this teaching this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit. Lord, will you speak to us in the way that you will? Will you grant us courage to hear, courage to respond? Speak, Lord, because your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night of March 1st, 2008, in a small town in Texas, a guy called Terry Caffey came home from a night shift. He had some supper and went to bed. In the house with him that night was his wife, Penny, 16-year-old daughter, Erin, two little boys, Bubba and Tyler. About three hours later, his bedroom door flew open and somebody began shooting at him and the gunfire knocked him off his bed and he lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, he heard one of his young sons cry out, Charlie, why are you doing this? And to his horror, he realized that it was the boyfriend of his 16-year-old daughter. And then he heard shots, and then his son went silent. He discovered later they had tracked his other son to a closet where he was hiding, and they took turns stabbing him with a sword like a rag doll. He found his wife in a bed somewhere else. She was covered in wounds. She was unrecognizable. And all of this happened, as they found out later, because they had made Erin and her boyfriend break up what was a dangerous and abusive relationship. His wife, his two boys dead, and what made it worse, if anything could be worse, was that his 16-year-old daughter had masterminded it all. And following that, this is what Terry Caffey said. He said, those days and weeks that followed the grief, I cannot put it into words. 
I had so much bitterness and hatred, I wanted to find them. I wanted to kill them. But as time went on and he was battling through sort of months of rage and, and hatred and grief, he knew that it was killing him. And he knew he had to do something. He knew that God was asking him to, to do something. First for his daughter and then for those two boys that had murdered his family. And that something was to forgive them. And I want to just ask one question this morning. And that is this. Why do we forgive? Why are we asked to forgive? And you know, whether this injury is enormous like with Terry Caffey or small injuries. Whether it's a really old injury or an injury that happened this morning. Why are we asked to forgive? And I'm so aware that my answers are going to be partial and incomplete. There's so much more we can say about this astonishing topic. I already feel that I'm going to shortchange you this morning. But just in the time we have left, why are we asked to forgive? I just want to give three short answers. And the first one is this. We forgive because we want to be like Jesus. And no story of kind of horror and deep injury outweighs the story of Jesus and and the extraordinary model of forgiveness and reconciliation he was to us. He preached forgiveness, but when rubber hit road, he showed us what it looked like. And after he was arrested and beaten and brutalized and tortured and humiliated and thrown away like some disposable piece of rubbish. And the angels, he who angels worship throughout um, you know, eternity, who must be watching aghast as it unfolded. And as it all um, you know, played out, he lay gasping on a cross and he looked out over people who still hated him and still banged for his blood. And even at that point, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. We forgive because we want to be like that. And all those who face up to the trauma of forgiveness in Jesus' name, at one point or other, they are confronted by this and they understand that there is no other way. Terry Caffey, who I spoke of a a minute ago, he said the turning point for him was when he was confronted by this and he asked himself, what would Jesus do in this situation? And this extraordinary man decided that he wanted to be like his Lord And so he himself would forgive as Jesus forgave. And not only that, but he he wrote letters on behalf of these boys. He he protested outside the Attorney General's office, pleading that they wouldn't be given the death um, in a penalty. His own lawyers were astonished by him. They were amazed by his actions. And you know, none of us have faced, probably, or will ever face, hopefully, the extreme story of Terry Caffey. But every one of us, faces a choice in our relationship with our husband, with our wife, with our brother, our sister, our parents, our friend, someone in this church family, somebody in your past. You might even be facing that choice this morning. And this word forgiveness comes from two old English words put together, which means to, to sort of give up desire or power to punish. You know, forgiveness means to release somebody. It means to... release some sort of hold that we have over somebody else. Forgiveness is always a matter of our will. It's always something we choose way before we feel like doing it. And often it's not a single choice. It is something that needs repeating often over and over again. 
And forgiveness is never easy, you know, whatever our situation. C.S. Lewis once said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. After times of injury or betrayal, it is not something that happens quickly. It is not just one decision, but a daily one. It is a battle, it is costly, it is never easy, but we forgive because we want to be like Jesus. Secondly, we forgive because without it we cannot receive forgiveness ourselves. And here's an astonishing thing. If you read our Bibles, you'll find there are approximately 125 direct references to forgiveness. And the vast majority of those are about God's forgiveness of us or us seeking it from him. And if you turn to our gospel, you'll find that Jesus actually hardly ever spoke about forgiveness, bizarrely. And the only times he spoke about us forgiving other people were on three occasions, on Matthew 6, Matthew 18, Luke 6. And he says a very similar thing on all those three occasions. And he says it in black and white. And I cannot find a good explanation for what Jesus meant apart from from exactly what he said. And that is that you cannot receive and accept God's forgiveness unless you forgive other people. And in Matthew 18, this passage that we've just had read, he rams it home with a story as he often does. He tells a story about a servant of of, of a king who owes this king a huge amount of money, 10,000 talents. In our money, that's 8 million pounds. And this king says, you've got to pay it up. He says, I can't, please help me. And this king wipes it out. And in this story, Jesus is using this as a picture of our debt against God. And this king in his mercy wipes it out, eight million pounds gone. And this servant comes out from the, this is the king's presence and he bumps into somebody and he realizes he knows them, but not just knows them, this guy owes him some money. It's about a hundred denarii, which, which, which is approximately 13 pounds in our money. It's approximately 500,000 times less than what he's just been um, you know, forgiven. And yet this guy grabs him and he says to him, pay me back. And this other guy pleads, he says, please give me time. He says, no. And he puts him in, in, uh, in a prison, as was his right. He says, stay in there until you actually um, uh, you know, pay me back. And this king hears about it and drags this servant in. He said, I forgave you a massive debt. And you couldn't even forgive a tiny little debt. And he throws him in prison. He says, stay there until you pay it back. And then Jesus ends this story with these pretty powerful, uncompromising words. And he says this three times in our Gospels. Not just once, three times. He says this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from the heart. And the astonishing thing is there doesn't appear to be a hidden meaning. Jesus is not playing with kind of words here. He's saying, in effect, that God's forgiveness is inexhaustible. But the unforgiveness of others blocks us from experiencing and feeling and knowing and enjoying this forgiveness that we are promised. When someone says, I cannot forgive him or her for what he or she has done to us, the answer is, you must forgive. Or you cannot receive God's forgiveness. You exclude yourself from God's forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like a clenched fist and we can only receive forgiveness on an open palm. Once our eyes have been opened to the enormity of our offence against God, those injuries that others have done for us in comparison are trifling. And it is this awareness of a vast cost 
of our own forgiveness that Jesus bore on the cross for us that enables us to you know, forgive other people. At the end of the day, it is only ever that forgiveness we have received that we are extending to other people. We forgive because we want to be like Jesus. And we forgive because without it we cannot receive forgiveness. Finally, we forgive because unforgiveness is a prison. If we don't forgive, we are trapped in a prison and there is no escape. On May 15th, 1999, 12-year-old Andy Brewer was staying in her father's house in rural Arkansas in America. What she didn't know was there was a man, a relative of hers, who waited until her father had left and, 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 and tricked her into his car. He drove 10 miles down a logging road and he raped her and he killed her. She fought and begged for her life. She promised not to tell anybody he had raped her, but he didn't listen to her. He strangled her. He killed her. He hit her body. There was a three-day statewide search for her, and the man who did it joined in that search. And when all had come to light and her body had been found, the murderer had been caught. This is what her mother, a woman called Rebecca, said. She said, when we finally learned what had happened to Andy, I, w- I wanted to die with her. There's no way to explain the, the, the loss of a child. I've never experienced such great pain, emotionally or physically. There was a little relief when Carl Roberts was found guilty of first-degree capital murder and given the death penalty. For a time, that seemed to pacify my rage and hate for him, but soon it began to consume my thoughts again. I hated him. I wanted him to suffer long and slow. Hate and unforgiveness consume me. And then she said one morning she flicked on her TV and, and, and saw the, a, a story, a documentary on the story of Gary Ridgway called The Green River Killer, who had murdered 48 women, making him the most prolific serial killer in US history. And he was to receive 48 consecutive life sentences. And as part of this trial, each family member was given 10 minutes to read a statement. And this program showed clips from lots of these statements and words like, I hope you rot in hell. And you are not God. It was not your right to choose who lived and died and other things that we can't say on a Sunday morning. And this guy, Gary Ridgway, he he, he just sat there listening. His eyes narrowed, hard, hardened face. And then uh, then another guy stood up, Bob Rule, father of 16-year-old Linda Rule. And he looked at Gary Ridgway, he said, Mr. Ridgway, there are people here who hate you. I am not one of them. I forgive you for what you have done. God says I must forgive, and he says not just to forgive certain people, he says forgive all. And so, Mr. Ridgway, you are forgiven. And the Rebecca said this hardened serial killer, his face began to kind of soften his lips began to tremble and in that courtroom he began to cry and then Rebecca as she watched it she began to cry herself and she said this later she said at that precise moment I realized the only way I would be able to go on living was to stop hating my heart and soul had been filled with blackness and it nearly killed me I knew that if something didn't change I would be in that graveyard dead with a broken heart next to my little daughter what Bob Rule had done that day was life-changing for me. Forgiveness, whether it be a grievous injury or many little injuries, or one little injury, forgiveness sets you free. 
And unforgiveness is a prison for which there is no escape. A woman called Marianne Williams said, forgiveness is not easy. At times it feels more painful than those wounds we've suffered to forgive that that person that inflicted it. And yet there is no peace without forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is an extraordinary thing. It's a gift of God to his people. It's an antidote to to, to the corrosion and destruction and violence of sin. We hurt each other. You know, whether in the extreme stories of Terry Caffey or Rebecca Brewer, or more usually in the kind of smaller acts of selfishness or self-seeking or even the lack of care or consideration. Unforgiveness stores up these injuries, these acts of sin. It's like, it's like a corrosion to our soul. But, you know, forgiveness robs these acts of sin of their power. It's like lancing a boil. It's the beginning of a path, sometimes a long path toward healing. We forgive because unforgiveness is a prison, my friends, for which there is no escape. We forgive because it sets us free. Final story before I end. In April 16, 2007, an undergraduate student at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia, killed 32 people with two semi-automatic pistols. And one of those victims, one of those 32 victims, was a 19-year-old girl called Mary Karen Reed. And when her traumatized family went to her dorm room to get her stuff, they found her journal. And of course, Mary knew nothing of what was going to happen to her. Of course not. But her final journal entry was so extraordinary, so pertinent, so powerful that it made headlines around the globe. And somebody made a short uh, video based on this diary entry. So let's just watch this, this video for three or four minutes. Let's, let's watch this together. Uh, 